Madi Ali did not grow up like a so-called typical kid who bikes, goes to school, has fun with friends, hanging out, or just playing video games. Nor did he go to college. He did get his GED, but not in the way you might think, because the past 11 years he's been figuring out how to grow up, survive in different prisons across the state of Minnesota. He had to grow up fast. He had no choice. Madi was convicted as a teenager. for triple murders in Minneapolis that occurred on the night of January 6 in 2010 murders that he says he did not commit Madi has maintained his innocence since then because Madi Ali won't admit to a crime he says he did not commit and he has never changed his story so let's see if it changes today welcome to fair play Madi and thank you for joining me uh, thank you for having me man uh How you doing? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Man, another morning in prison, man, but as usual fighting and you know, trying to uh, exonerate myself as usual. What I'm going to do now, Madi, is I'm going to try to back in time with you to that night. Okay. On January 6, and I want you to just, you know, uh freshen up Uh, our memories and and of course yours and just tell us where were you exactly on January 6 2010 at about 7:44 p.m. that particular night uh i was at a fairview hospital picking up a friend named uh amir farah which I had his car at the time. So earlier that day I dropped off my friend Amir Farah at his workplace and borrowed his car. So when I was picking him up, that was me basically giving him back his car. And that's what I was uh when he's saying around the time that the crime uh, occurred and I was with him during that time at Fairview Hospital. Okay. And and there is surveillance video of that of course which wasn't used in the court of law i think and definitely uh which was shocking shocking to me now during that time i was a kid man so you know it never occurred to me like how valuable that that timestamp video uh video footage was but strangely man uh the state never looked at it uh And and most importantly man my attorney at the time never even you know thought about that particular video footage which is at the lobby of the uh, the hospital but also I want you to know though how important it is that during that time videos and and, and cameras weren't that popular as it is nowadays like nowadays when you fight in a case the first thing you look at is the video footage which both side from the defense and the ter- uh prosecutors But during that time, they weren't that much of a popular, so that's something that slipped under our radar. And you know, the state never actually brought that uh, uh, brought that evidence or actually talked about that video at any point during my trial or during the course of my my case when I was fighting. 
yeah the state would never want to talk about it because it would throw the case out of the window the defense should have talked about it but they didn't the defense definitely my lawyer at the time uh was not aware of yeah so uh let me repeat that madi what you're saying is that on january 6 in 2010 at about 7:44 p.m. when these crimes occurred in minneapolis you were at a another location returning a car to your friend definitely and the reason why it came to my attention actually is uh you know if i was someone that was never fighting this case this particular evidence you know this particular video footage would never even came to my attention but like me fighting and reading my case and reading uh discoveries and and, and just my transcript you know I, I out of the blue you know I requested for some paperwork and then some legal work from uh the law library and then she sent me extra packages and then I'm going through those packages and here it is in front of me basically saying you know that me all along I knew it though that I was at the Fairview Hospital but even me myself you know I never even thought about that video footage but till I read that paper and it said 741 time stamp footage Maria Lee at the Fairview Hospital the car that they saying was used to commit the crime it's at the Fairview Hospital 741 the crime occurred 745 and the funny thing is My friend that I picked up that testified on my behalf during the trial that said that was my alibi and said at this particular time Maria Lee was with me and I didn't see nothing out of the ordinary I didn't see him acting anywhere any nothing like that individual already testified on my behalf the only difference is when you on a trial man and I uh, I mean when you understand you have to be honest completely honest so they asked them okay after he picked you up what did you guys do So he said we went to uh, a city called Brooklyn uh Park Brooklyn Park which is not that far off from uh Minneapolis. We went there to uh go buy some weed and we went and smoked some weed. We got high. So they went from my alibi went from being an alibi for me and and testifying on my behalf to all of a sudden him being interrogated in that, in that stand like okay so you guys were high. So, and he like yes we were high. so you guys were doing this and this and that he like yes so they like is it fair to say the fact that you were high they like so how was time like he like we we were having fun and time was flying by so they like okay so is it fair to say that you were intoxicated basically you were under the influence of drugs he like yes we're getting high they like no further question so close in argument they like the only alibi this guy has is someone that's basically testified before you guys that he was high and he was under the influence of drugs so that basically they his like basically his testimony was trans uh was basically made into like it didn't have any merit you know what i mean like it wasn't reliable hmm. So and that's where now if we would have had the video footage at the time it's not just this testimony anymore you have something to cooperate with that you know hmm. yeah so man and at the time it didn't make sense why they were attacking him like that but you know like man being a grown man like years later and then discovering this new you know uh uh, uh basically evidence and reading this paper in front of me man it was just odd and it, it all made sense Thank <laughs> you.
Yeah, it's absolutely bullshit because uh, the defense attorney should have ripped that whole argument apart. Because no matter what people say, no matter what the prosecutor comes up with, the fact is that on January 6, at 2000, in 2010, around between 7, uh, 7.15 to, let's say, 7.50, uh, you know, right about this time, we have video evidence that you were at the Fairview Hospital returning the car. Returning the car. And keep in mind, this is the car. So even if this is the car that they're saying was used to commit the crime, like this is not even just a, like, like, this is not a me returning a random car. This is the car that they're saying was used to commit the crime. The car has no DNA. The car has no blood. The car has nothing that says, you know what I mean, this is the car that was used. Actually, it was so crazy that... My alibi, my uh, 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 friend at the time, they were basically hauling his own car against They're like, hey, if you don't do this and this and this, we're going to take your car away and we're going to impound it and put on hold. Mm -hmm. So, And he 18 at the time, keep in mind. So mm -hmm. at 18 years old, they need his car to go to work and come back. You know what I mean? Like when you put that, when you yeah. linger that over his head and make it seem like, hey, man, like if you don't, Basically, you know, do this and this and this. We're going to take your car away. You know what I mean? Like, that goes to yeah. show you how far they went. Also, can you believe, like, if a car was used to commit triple homicide? Yeah. Not one, not two, not three. Do you believe, can you believe the fact that they let that car go, like, like within a week after the uh, crime occurred and gave it back to him? Like, this your car have it. Hmm. That goes to show you, like, but they were using that car as a, as a prop to, you know what I mean, make him basically not stand alone with me. So yeah, when we when he when he was testifying for me, my lawyer had to subpoena him. Yeah, friend, because he didn't want nothing to do with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, my lawyer had to subpoena him. That so this is not someone that's willing to help me. This is just someone that was forced to tell the truth. So when he stopped, when he told the truth and said, Maria San Ali was with me during that time. Mari Hassan Ali came and picked me up this and this time, and we went, and he's telling the truth, keep in mind, that we went and smoked some weed. This is yeah. someone that was subpoenaed, that was forced to basically testify on my behalf. So, long story short, man, um, mm. that was my alibi, man. That was the only chance I had, you know, and that, they friended him, and then they kept that car over his head to make sure, basically, he doesn't become any help. Mm. And when he did, man, I, I wouldn't even be surprised, you know, if they had something to do with him actually making it seem like coming to court and, you know what I mean, not dressing accordingly, making it seem like basically, you know, like someone that was just all of, under the influence and didn't care about nothing. Yeah, it's called yeah. coercion, man, in simple yeah. English. He was coerced. He was being coerced. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot tell me like a car that was used to commit triple homicide being given back within yeah. a week like that doesn't happen and keep yeah. in mind this is not a car that has the evidence so usually they keep those cars and they break it down and then they try to find some kind of evidence but Madi they returned the car because the, the crime is not committing the car not committing and, and, and that goes to show you but also they needed him too that's only just the one thing man one thing that hurt me in my case was keep in mind like I'm a, I, I was a kid that grew up in basically in the streets because me being a Muslim kid I couldn't withstand living in a, a, a group homes because one, the food, you know, uh, two, the whole environment, man. Like it just, it's not a, 
it was an environment for me. So what, what I would do is I would run away and then I would live in my friends' houses, you know what I mean? Like I would, I would sleep with one friend's house and then I would sleep in another friend's house. Basically, I was a homeless man and that's how I grew up. So I didn't have no support system. I didn't have a family member. I didn't have a mother, not a father. Not, I didn't have no, not a brother, not a sibling. I didn't have nobody standing up for me. Yeah. When I'm going through all this process and saying, you know what, this is our kid, this is our brother. So what hurt me was, man, like when my case occurred, it was a high profile case. And then the victim family and not only that, but the whole Somali community, man, like they were looking for justice. They were protesting day and night. But, you know, who was missing any support system? It was me. Like I didn't have nobody to stand up for me. You know, it was it was I had no voice. Uh, I had no support system outside of those, uh, uh, outside of myself. And at the time, I was a kid, man. I didn't even know what the heck was going on. And and that's why every day I think about that situation, you know, it fuels my fire to even fight harder, to even work harder, to even be in position. Like, you know, what I made today right now, this interview I'm having with you today alone, you know, that speaks value. Because I could have easily give up. I could have easily, man, you know, uh, Say heck with this man and, and be like you know what life never gave me a break and I never had a break man I never had a break I came in this country as a kid was incarcerated uh now nah, I was thrown into the system where you know I had nothing and then at the age of 16 here I am man you know fighting for my life something that I have no control over you know and to make matters worse man everything man like not a soul man standing alongside of me, you know, and everybody and everyone, man, is just ready to, you know, basically, man, uh, um, throw me away, man, you know, and some even protesting, like, my, some, my own community protesting for death penalty, you know, uh, and seeing this on the news, it was just gut-wrenching, man, and, and at the time, man, being a kid, like, I just wanted to kill myself, you know, like, that, I just wanted to get away, like, if that's what they wanted, Heck with it, you know, like I, I was placed in uh, 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 suicide clothing, you know what I mean? I was pay, placed in suicide watch. But the beginning of the situation, that's how odd it was. Like, you know, just I couldn't fathom what was happening to me. Like, and most importantly, man, I didn't know why it was happening, man. Uh, so, man, today standing here, man, like everything should be makes sense, you know, and, and the fight. Know, man, the perseverance, you know, uh, the many lonely nights, man, uh, and, and all those lonely days, man, you know, it taught me how to fight, yeah. you know, uh, and man, that's, that's, that's my point right now, I just need people to support me and get behind me, man, and for once, you know, at least, man, turn the table, man, show me somewhat of a support, more importantly, man. Madi, uh, a lot of us we have no control in life to what comes at us. The only control we have is how we respond. So the good thing is that you have held on to your innocence. Did they offer you a plea deal? And you didn't take it, obviously. Listen, I never even entertained the idea. I never... The attorney that I had multiple times, that's why he was focused on the juvenile side of things. Because I told him from day one, like, man, like... That was not even a conversation that I was willing to even have. Mm. Like, because it didn't make sense to me, you know. Like, there is nothing that he could have said. There was one time where he brought up some 50-year uh, 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 
50 years, do 30, something like that, where he was even thinking about the idea. And I just looked at him, man, like he was crazy, man. And, you know, and even though I was a kid and, and you know what I mean, like one thing that was never be, you know what I mean, convinced of me is, you know what I mean, entertain any idea of deal, you know, entertain any idea of doing time. I was actually, that's why I was looking forward to committing suicide because I didn't even want to do the jail sentence. I would rather die than do the the whole process of, you know what I mean, waiting for your guilt or innocence. Because it didn't make sense to me, man. Why am I locked up to begin with? You know, it just didn't, it, it, was, it didn't make sense to me at all. And, you know, being a kid, you don't know the system, so you're not knowing, hey, this is what you have to go through, that you have to wait for your uh, 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 due process, the rights, and this. Nah, I'm like, why am I in jail? Why? That was my answer. So at first it was funny, but the more I seen how serious it was, like cause at first it was like, like this is not happening. But the more I, the, the, when I got to the big, like when I seen how serious it was, man, that's when everything got odd, man. Like, I mean, like it was just weird. Like, why am I here? Like, what's going on? Like, how's this even happening? Those were questions that I had, and I still have to this day. So, in in these eleven years, you you never twelve years accepted twelve the years twelve years. Uh, excuse me. In the in the past twelve years, you never accepted that you did it you've always held on to your innocence is that correct never that's not even something that crossed my mind because this is something that i never did this is something that i didn't do it's one thing to be convinced of something that you did but it's another you know and i, I would rather fight for my life man for the rest of my life knowing that you know what i mean that i didn't do this thing you know what i mean even have a shot of a doubt of someone else looking at me as someone that did this, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and man, that's the honest to God, man. Like, I never did this, man. Yeah, I mean, just at the top of the interview, we have evidence on video that was not used, which also proves a lot that it wasn't used because it wasn't at the advantage of the prosecution. But we have video evidence of you being on another location. I mean, the case is thrown out of the window right from the get-go, but unfortunately, it didn't happen. So let me just tell the viewers or the listeners about a little bit of your case. So I'm going to... There's a fantastic article that was done by Tom Lydon of Fox 9, and a really cool journalist, and I think he also... You spent... I mean, not I think. You spent some time with him. He did your interview. So I have this piece in front of me. Let me just repeat some of that. Uh, so here's what happened in the words of Tom Lydon of Fox 9. On the night of January 6, 2010, three men were murdered inside the supermarket on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. It took only 60 seconds. There is no dispute over the basic facts of the case because the crime was captured on surveillance video. It shows at 7.44 p.m. two masked men walk into the market. One of the men is armed with a handgun. The surveillance video contains no audio, but it shows the two store clerks, Mohammed Varfa and his cousin Usman Elmi, complying with the gunman's request to lay on the ground. The unarmed accomplice goes to the back of the store to rob two customers, who would later lock themselves in a freezer in the back of the store. A few seconds into the robbery, a customer, Anwar Muhammad, walks into the market, interrupting the robbery in progress. His entry 
startles a gunman who orders man to the ground and quickly shoots him in the head. Varfa, the store clerk, lunges at the gunman and he too is shot and killed. The gunman and his accomplice flee the market, stepping over Varfa's body in the doorway. Elmi, the other store clerk, gets on his cell phone to call 911, but the gunman returns a few seconds later and chases Elmi through the store, knocking over store racks, then shoots and kills Elmi. As the gunman leaves the market for a second time, he fires an additional round at a dying customer on the floor. The days that followed the killings were filled with grief, shock and anger in Minnesota Somali American community. I understand all of this, but this really sounds really really fucked up and it's really cruel. So how did you get involved in this? Man, uh basically earlier that day, like way earlier, you know, I was with a friend, a friend, you know what I mean, and and I picked them up and those individuals and uh one of those individuals end up coming forward and saying I was the individual that committed the crime. Okay, pause here. So you're talking basically you're talking about M Ali and his cousin Ahmed Ali and his cousin Salama, Abdul Salama Ali, where which are first cousins related, you know, family, everything. So the strange thing that happened is actually both of them kind of turned themselves in, you know, claiming I did it and I did it with Mari and then the other one saying no, I did it and I was the one with Mari. Mhm. So you have two cousins over here, you know, basically saying I did it and I'm the one with Mari Hassan Ali, which the first one was Abdi Salam Ali and the second one was Ahmed Shere Ali who said I did it and I'm the one with Mari Hassan Ali. So the question became which one did it that right there should have shown you know what i mean the, the inconsistency that that basically you have two individual which one of them was never charged with the case abdis bin abdis salam ali was never charged with the case mm-hmm. never had it like he was he testified against me but that's someone that was never charged with the case was never even looked at as a suspect was never even mm-hmm. uh, like nothing was even forward and this the first individual to come forward and say hey and actually he didn't even came forward he told in details a friend of his that he had at a school and the friend ended up alerting the police and that's how his name came to play so when the police incarcerated him and and, and interrogated him he like yes I did it and I did it with Mari Hassan Ali so that's the that's how the case hall started Hmm. But that's someone that was never uh, 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 pursued as a suspect. That's that's someone that was never even looked at as a suspect. Never went. He got incarcerated. Never did nothing with this case. Like that's someone that till this day he's out there free. So, and then keep in mind this person and is speaking in details. Like it's one thing when crime occurred and you know and, and it got on the news and everybody knows about it, but it's another when you prescribing everything in details like 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 you said earlier you know they overstepped warfa body while fleeing at the door mm. you see what i'm saying mm. this someone that said do and that's why it made sense to the police that like this person is our person at first cuz he's speaking in detail like the only way you can know that is you have to be in that videotape you have to be 
in that in that store. You have to be someone that knows something about it, which is why it was alarming. They're like, "Wow, hold on, this person is not just telling us what happened, but he prescribing this into because when he told his friend at at a school like this is what happened and this is what he did, it was wow, you know, like so the police knowing that when they heard that, automatically they went incarcerated him. They're like, "We have our guy. This is our guy." That was their belief. So when they went and sit down with him. You know, all of a sudden, I don't know what changed from them thinking this is their person to all of a sudden, you know, like, just completely getting around it. But one uh, 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 idea that I think they had was, okay, you know, he can help us get to the gunman. Because the gunman height and that individual height wasn't the same. Mm. So they see, they're like, okay, so what we need is the gunman. They're like, okay, it was you, so who did it with you? And that's when his cousin came alone. He said that's how his cousin came to the play. His cousin Ahmed Sher Ali, which is the person that framed me and recently recanted his statement saying all along, you know, Mari Ali wasn't the one that was in that store. All along, Mari Ali mm. is not the one that was with me. Uh, mm. All along, you know what I mean, that I was wrong for basically saying Mari Ali did this. And, and that's the same individual that's in a uh, Tom Lighter interview that's saying Mari Ali's not the one, you know? Mm. Um, so, oh. so, let, so let me just wrap my head around this. You, uh, these two guys were your friends? They were a school friend, like where I went to middle school in the past, you know, so, they, like, friend from a distance, like, one of them, the Ahmed Ali, that was my friend, but his cousin, we weren't that close friends. Okay, so you guys were hanging out on January 6th? You guys were together? Earlier today, earlier today, we were hanging out. What were you doing? Uh, I picked him up from his school, and then we went to the impound lot, because I had my car that was at the impound lot at the time, that was towed from me, uh, I mean, that was impounded from me uh, two days prior to the case, uh, the crime occurred in. But so we went, I picked them up, we went to a, 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 a factory called, that's right by the Minnesota Impound Lot. Uh, we went, you know, Abdi Salam, while we were at the factory court, where they sell jackets. Abdi Salam, uh, you know, and I, and Ahmed Ali, we both, we all went to that code, you know, kind of window shop, looked around. Abdi Salam ended up stealing a jacket from there. We got out of there, we left. So after we left, we went to the Impound Lot. So when we went to the impound lot, you know, I, I find out that I didn't have enough money to retrieve my car, so I left. Then when we left, we went to a, a, a gas station uh, located at uh, Lindell and Franklin, you know, and we went to this to me and I, I met Ali, went to the store, bought some, you know, uh, some snack, I think, if I remember correctly, and, and we left. Then I dropped them off. That was the end of it then. Where did you drop them? I dropped, I, mean, I, I dropped both of them off at the house. At their house? At their house, yeah. I dropped uh, individually, I dropped both of them off. So then they went to the that's location like, you know, on, their, on their own? Yeah, nah, when that's occurring, when that's occurring, when I dropped them off, it was like, like, like during the time I'm dropping them off, it's like around five. Mm. Like late five, something like that, like five thirty, something like that, like uh, around late 
540, something like that. So that's when I dropped him off. And then that was the last time I seen him. That was the last time I seen him. But I dropped both of them off individually, though. So, uh, that was the last of it. In some of the reports, it said that uh, you lived in front of that market and you knew that they had a lot of cash. And that's what you were talking to about your, that's what you were talking about with your friends. Is that correct? No, that was not correct at all. I Didn't knew, you need- I live right, listen, my grandma, my, my grandmother, who I thought was my, my mother, who I thought was my grandmother at the time, lived mm-hmm. in front of that store. So that's correct. That's where I lived at. That's correct. But to say, you know, and I know that that's that's a, to say like uh, I know that's a, a, a business place, you know what I mean. So, but to say that you know it has a lot of money and and and, and, and you know that that I'm thinking about it or not that's that's just that's nonsense. So what about you needed money for the impound of your car, right? That that was motive that 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 was used, but I really I was only off twenty dollar, man. Oh man! Like it's not like I have money. Keep in mind, I went to. So what they do is every day, right? So every day, what they do is that they add the fees. Like every day, they add to eighteen dollars or something like that. So, hmm. what? I didn't know that. So when I went there, I had like one forty or something like that, which I thought I needed to get my car out. So when I went there, they told me, man, I needed like one sixty or something like that. So. Or one fifty eight or something like that. I was off by like twenty dollars. I wasn't off that margin of you know what I mean, going in and committing a crime. Like it doesn't even add up. Keep in mind, I went there. Keep in mind, I went there to retrieve my car. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So I had somewhat of a money, obviously. Mm. You know what I mean? I wasn't off that much, man. So to say, mm. but they needed motive. They needed something to say to be like, okay, this is why he did it. So you drop off these two guys at uh, uh, between 5 and 5.30, something like that, and then you never see them again. That was the last of them, man. Keep in mind, I picked them up from school at uh, around 2, 2.30ish, yeah. something like that, earlier day of 2 o'clock, 2 p.m., that is. And, and you know, like, and keep in mind, in the winter in Minnesota, like, it's dark everywhere, so it's already late. It feels late. Mm-hmm. Like, around 5 o'clock, that feels very late, so... You know, and that was the last of them, man. That's the last time I seen them. I went to, um, I went to, uh, about my day, and, and before you know it, like I told my, my friend Amir Farah, which was the owner of the car that I'm driving, you know, I had, I knew I had to meet him right before he get off work. And that's exactly what I did, man. Um, I went to his workplace, you know, on time, and I was waiting at the lobby when he came out, and that was it. Yeah, so you drop those guys and then you go to your friend, the the guy who owns the car that you're driving to return him the car. Yes, sir. So th- then you guys, uh, you, you met your friend and you guys drove somewhere, you got some weed, you smoked, and then uh, how did you come back home? Yeah, so we we went and picked up another friend. So I picked him up. Right after I picked him up from his workplace, we went and picked up another friend named... Uh, 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 he's uh, another friend of mine. Uh, his nickname was Freddy. So that's another and, alibi. That's another. Uh, that's another alibi. For that's you, another right? alibi. Yeah, that I picked him up. Uh, yeah. So I went and picked him up. He never testified nothing. Like, but I, we went and picked him up right after that. Uh, and that was 
that was and then at, right after I picked him up, we went to uh 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 Willis Fargo uh went to Willis Fargo Bank, which is not that far away from my apartment. He went and retrieved my friend, he being my friend Amir, uh, I mean uh, Amir Farah. He went and retrieved some money from his account balance. We got on the highway and we went to Brooklyn Park to go buy some weed. So after we buy some weed, you know what I mean, at Brooklyn Park, we stayed at the parking lot, uh, uh, you know what I mean, and, and rolled up some joint, we smoked, mm. came back to Minneapolis, you know what I mean, smoked some more, just uh, staying in the car, hanging out, you know what I mean, mm. killing time. Uh, and around 10 o'clock, they dropped me off. Mm. Amir Farah dropped me off around 10 o'clock, and that was it. Mm. So that's how I got back home. Mm. So the funny thing is, they used the video of him dropping me off, which was, was showing around 10 o'clock. They showed that video footage of him dropping me off at about my apartment. They, uh, if I don't, I, I, I don't even remember correctly, but I do believe the video that they missed is, I don't think they showed the, uh, the Willis Fargo video, because that would have showed some timeline too. That probably would have, because he went, keep in mind, he retrieved money from the ATM machine. Absolutely. And I believe that was around like eight o'clock. Yeah, I mean, if you put all of that together, it doesn't add up. So for me, yeah. listen, they saying that this crime was occurred. This crime occurred 7:45, 7:45 around that time, right? Yeah, yeah. So they saying that after that, that I went and dropped Ahmed Ali off at his house, which is approximately about 15 to 20 minutes. You following me? Yeah. They said then I came back from there and got rid of the jacket that was used to commit the crime. Keep in mind, they saying that I got rid of and, and got cleaned up, then went and picked up the car owner, Amir Farah. Mm -hmm. So... How, how can that happen? I mean, that's not possible. possible. That's not yeah. possible. That's not possible. If you And that's why it makes sense You'd that, be Superman. If You'd have to be Superman to do that. Yeah, that's why it makes sense that the video footage of the Fairview Hospital was never really broke into like that by that and then the only there is multiple video footage of the hospital but the one that they didn't use is at the lobby the one that they're using is amir at his workplace him minding his business you know what i mean like just to show yeah i did pick them up that day you see what i'm saying no but they're not using the they're not using the one that shows the timeline they're not using the one that that would have shown me being at the lobby at that particular time 741 yeah they were picking and choosing from the evidence something that would serve them absolutely like and it's important that the Wells Fargo video footage was never shown to if I remember correctly because that would have showed timeline even though it was later do like it was about later during the day but still it would have showed some timeline that's consistent with my story like okay so this occurred and then he was with them and then now we three we went from one to two to three and that's why like man like i don't until this day i still don't know why my my attorney never pursued the other friend that was with us yeah was it a public defender testified on my behalf Nah, he wasn't a public defender man he was a uh, 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 guy named uh Fred, frederick Getz. he was a uh he was a paid lawyer why didn't he go and pursue this evidence? I have no idea, man. I, I, he just, and keep in mind, 
he all along was trying to convince me to basically, you know, pursue the juvenile side of things. He was never really looking into my conviction. He was, the whole two years that I was fighting my case, most of that time went into him trying to look into ways to give me life with parole. It should be exoneration, man. I mean, no, he was never looking at that. That that I could tell you that right now. He was never pursuing my case. Man. He was more focused on my age, uh, how I was brought to America, and he was trying to show. And he's the one that, remember when I was early saying the lady that I thought it was my grandmother being my mother? Mm-hmm. He's the one that conduct all those interviews, I mean, uh, conduct all those uh, investigations and find out. You would think he was an immigration lawyer, actually, because what he did... He, he opened my eyes to another side that existed, my real mother, who she was. He opened eyes to so many other things that was outside of the case. Mm. And all those pursuings that he was doing, it was mainly to show that I don't deserve a life without parole. So, yeah. in another word, in his eyes, I was guilty. He just didn't. He wasn't buying my story, basically. Yeah. And that's why he never even entertained the idea of uh, innocent. Even the way he broke down my case he said man misidentification like during my closing argument during my trial he presented the whole idea as a misidentification mm-hmm. also there is a neighbor right by the store that's saying you know what I mean like like, hey the people that I've seen coming from that store you know what I mean fleeing from the store like they weren't like they weren't my description like you know what I mean like I'm, I'm way smaller than these guys like the guys that that, that that he prescribed, like they were tall, you know what I mean? They were like I'm only five eight, man. At the time, I probably was like five seven. So, mm. so there all those things that exist. But the only thing that was helpful that he brought to that trial is that individual, that neighbor, that came forward and said he seen guys fleeing or something like that through his window, or guys standing around the store through his window and. They weren't, and that's the only thing. But other than that, man, like he was saying, misidentification. Hmm. So if I'm not there, if I was never there, if I'm telling you, like I'm not the one, I'm not even there. Why would you place me at the crime scene and just say misidentification? Hmm. No. So it's to, in all fairness, man, like it's fair to say, you know, he he didn't put his best foot forward. Like and all along, like everything that he did, put energy into, it was my my age. He's the one that that discovered who my mother was, my real mother. He's the one that highlighted how I got to this country. He's the one that did all those things, and he was doing all those things to have the judge show me sympathy and to not certify me as an adult, but rather push my case back and try as a juvenile. It didn't help. It didn't help. Of course, because they're saying that, you know, by the time you come out, you'll be 107 years old. Because the judge, the same judge that he, this is the judge that he said was his friend that would be fair to us. Like, keep in mind, the first judge that I had that was appointed, he waived that judge. And my understanding, the way he broke it down to me was like, this is a judge that, that knows us. That, that, that's my friend that would be fair to us. So the judge, so basically from the beginning when he took the case, he was going off of as like showing and gaining some kind of a help. Like and at the time, being a kid, it don't make sense to you. You know, you just go along with your attorney. But looking back right now, it makes sense. Like wow. But then, unfortunately, the same judge that he put his faith in his hand that he thought would be fair, 
never really looked at the case. Like he was chomping at the pen, uh, at the bed to just, you know, basically have his day with me. And when that day came and I was found guilty, he went above and beyond. He went above and beyond to actually, you know, sentence me because he went out of his way to give me consecutive sentence instead of, you know what I mean, basically like one life without parole, which usually happens in those kind of situations. Because he said that it's a juvenile case that, that that's uh, in the Supreme Court right now ruling on cruel and unusual punishment. And if that ever be the case where they say juveniles cannot serve life without parole, I want them to never consider you any outdate, which is why I'm giving you three consecutive life without parole sentence, and I'm running it consecutive instead of concurrent, which end up being basically what his wishes. This one in law in 2012 when uh, Alabama first Miller came forward and they said you can't give a juvenile life without parole what that same judge did when I went back to court to be resentenced he went and given me instead of basically 30 years which a lot of juveniles do have a lot of juveniles who are in my situation who were convicted of first degree murder you know what I mean that was that had life without parole after that case after that ruling by the Supreme Court they were given 30 years. See what I'm saying? Mm. So they were given some shot of an outdate. But yeah. when I went back to that court, he said, you have a three consecutive life sentence. Therefore, I'm giving you 30 years, 30 years, 30 years, and then you're going to run a concurrent. I mean consecutive, mm. which is 90 years. Mm. And which is ridiculous, too. And that's the judge. That's the judge that this guy, basically being my attorney at the time, Frederick Gibbs, placed his faith in. That's the guy that he said will be fair. Mm-hmm. That's the guy that he said will basically, you know, go accordingly. And that's the same guy that was doing uh, uh, Derek Chauvin case. That's the same judge, Peter K. Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, well, it didn't work out uh, according to how your attorney wanted it to be. And uh, for them, uh, which is uh, uh, crazier, is that for them to wait to try this case for two years, thinking that you, you'll turn 18 and they can try you as an adult, even then, according to the documents that your mother proved, you were still under 18 when they convicted you as an adult. Is that correct? Yes, not. So he found out, keep in mind, my identity, the name that I have, Mari Hassan Ali, that's not my real name. That's the identity that was brought to me in America by my false parents who brought me over here from Kenya, Nairobi, as a refugee man mm-hmm. from the refugee camp in Kenya. So yeah. my real age so what he find out is what the attorney find out along the process is my real identity my real name i knew my real name all along being khalid farah that i knew that yeah but i didn't know who my real mother was so he discovered who my real mother was uh, my real age my date of birth certificate everything mm-hmm. and 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 it showed that i was 15 at the time not even 16 actually so I was actually younger than my American age. And uh, and me personally, I had some idea of my real identity and everything, but, you know, I wasn't living that life. I was living under the name Mari Hassan Ali. You know, uh, that was my identity. That was everything. So I never even looked at it that way. So that's why I'm saying, like, he put all his energy and investigation and everything that he was doing 
in completely different. I mean, it's good that you know he helped to figure out some of the stuff that you now know now, but it didn't help you in terms of um, uh, un uncovering the truth that you didn't do it and you were being falsely convicted for this. But uh, the fact that they so what you're saying is that you were 17 when they convicted you as an adult for uh, three life sentences, right? Yeah, when they convicted me, I was 17. Yeah. When I was, uh, according to the, uh, the investigation in my date of birth certificate and my mother's testimony, my real mother's testimony, when a crime occurred, I was 15. When I got found guilty and was convicted, I was 17. Yeah. My real date of birth is uh, and, uh, August 25th, 1994. So what about the DNA? The blood, uh, little tiny drop of DNA, blood DNA that they found in your, in your pants or something like that. Is that correct? Hey, that that is something that 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 wasn't highlighted in that DNA too. That's not a full DNA. First of all, that's a partial DNA. Also, that's a partial DNA that has a mixture of the BCA staff. That was conducting the testing itself. No, no, no. I heard that uh, there's a, there was DNA evidence with your with that DNA. There was a DNA of a BCA staff who had nothing to do with your case. Is that is yes. that ridiculous? Has nothing to keep their own contamination. It's it, mixture. It's mixture. It's, uh, it has a mixture of that staff own DNA. Not only that, this is DNA that's contaminated. So one, it's a partial DNA. Two, it's contaminated. Three, it has a mixture, mixture of the staff that was conducting, some staff that was allegedly supposed to be working in the BCA on DNA. So, so one thing that, uh, and that's the only thing that links me to this crime. That's the only thing that they're using beside this uh, 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 alleged man and his word. So the funny thing is, man, that DNA. That everybody that conducted that testing came forward. I mean, uh, as far as the BCA staff, like the the individuals that that were testifying against me, that was supposed to be the expert for the state, they themselves said, "Man, like, like, or they were lacking experience." When they, when my lawyer asked them, "So why does it has the mixture?" Their excuse was, "This is our first time of." One of them, if I remember correctly, her excuse was. This is the first time that I conducted anything. This is my first case, basically. Damn. So, uh, and then the second one, our excuse was like, I just got out of law school. I mean, I just got out of school to do this. So they were lacking experience. But also one thing that was clear to me is it wasn't just the professionalism that was approached with that. It was not there. Like also they were hands-on working with the detective in my case. Like the detective was uh, involved in everything, is, which is, I remember the detective name was Ann Jones, Sarah, Sarah Ann Jones, or something like that. But she was working hand in hand with the BCA, basically directing them towards what to look at, where to look at, how to look at. Mm. So, and then the, the the funny thing is the blood that the, the DNA that they're using is they saying it's inside of my pocket, inside of the pants. Not outside. Mm. Keep in mind, not outside. This not so. So, 
So usually, if you, if you will have a DNA, that will come from the outside. You see what I'm saying? Mm. But they saying inside of my pocket, like you know how when you put your hands in your pocket, your pocket has a, like inside of your pocket. Mm. They saying that's where the mixture. So that that's where the DNA located at, which it don't make sense, man. So I have a theory. I really have a theory, man, and and that's the only way. Cause for years, that's something that I, that I, that I question and, and and over and over and over. It never made sense to me. Like if I was never there, how is this even possible? And then I had to like this is theory that I really in my head came up with. So keep in mind, this is not a full DNA. This is mixture. Yeah. So I do think, man, in my and this is just my theory. And a lot of people might say you crazy. And some people might be like, you know what? You're right. It makes sense. I do think like they use the Q-tip to scrap off a real DNA. They wet a Q-tip and then they scrap it off with the, uh, some kind of blood and then they placed it on my pants. That's something that they planted. I do believe that because yeah. that's why, that's the only thing that explains why do you have a partial DNA. Keep in mind, this is not a full DNA. Yeah. So the mixture, if you ask me, the mixture came from some DNA that was on the table already. Keep in mind, this is not a staff that's involved in the case. This is some BCS staff member that they're saying it's mixture, it's on the table. I mean, it's mixture with the blood DNA. Mm. So the table or whatever that they use, the content that they use already had this guy, whether he was saliva or sweat, he had that guy DNA. Mm. So, and that's the only way I could, I, could, I could think of the mixture. And then the contamination is obvious. It's not a full DNA. You see what I'm saying? So contamination can come from anything. Mm. So. And that's the only thing that I can explain that. And that's something that for years, man, and years and years, I've just looked at it and, and try to find a way just to justify, like, how is this even possible? Because I know, I know 100% that it's not possible, that I wasn't there. So me, myself, I know that. So that's the only thing I can come up with. I mean, when you were explaining it to me, I was imagining the first uh, the thing that came to my head is that it was put in there, of course. How of else would course. it get there? Of course. So, also, they don't have a real-life DNA. So, they have to put something in water. Because keep in mind, everything is dried up by now. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Everything is dried up. There is no real blood anymore. Everything is dried up. So, they have to put something in the water to wet it. That's where the partial DNA came from. But how did it get to your pants? And they placed it. That is them. That, how how did they get it, there? It has to be them. That is no. Was that in your room? Oh no no they of course you know every time they incarcerate you for crime they go to your house and then they do a uh, search warning and they go and grab everything that they think that look like. So uh -huh. they re they review the camera and then they went to my house and then picked out something that looked like mm. something that looked like a pants that maybe. Whoever that commit the crime, the gunman was using. Hmm. So I had a pants at my house that was cuffed. You know what I mean? And that's the pants that, that they went and got. Yeah. Keep in mind, every jeans, most of the jeans are are, are are the same. You see what I'm saying? So that is that's that's not a. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. Like hmm. go some, and that's what they always do anyway. Every time they go and conduct the search warrant, they go and take half of your your closet. That's always what they do. Yeah, which is ridiculous because uh, the DNA is contaminated and somebody from BCA has their blood on that. I mean, how ridiculous is this? And not the ones that were working on a case. This is someone that, 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 that they have no idea who it is.
Yeah. I mean, this is someone that had no nothing to do with the case. Yeah. So now all that goes to show, man, that the the, the 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 all like there is no way that I should have been convicted for this case. Period. When that's your biggest evidence. Keep in mind, three men was killed. There was plenty of blood everywhere. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind, this is someone that they're saying left the scene and then came back to the scene and killed the last victim. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So this doesn't mean, and then it's winter at the time. One thing about Minnesota, when it's winter, man, the floor is wet. You know what I mean? Everything is wet. Mm. Like, like this is not a dry floor that you're dealing with. So it's easily a blood to transfer easily like especially when you're dealing with a three victim and then for my way you telling me like okay i'm the one that did it so for me to do this i have to basically overstep bodies and come back and then kill the last victim and then leave again and overstep another two individuals basically at the door mm. and man and that's why even tom at his, his own interview he was saying like for crime of three individuals, like that doesn't make sense. And then where they saying the blood is located, it also is kind of questionable too. Like not outside of the pocket, inside of the pocket. Mm. So there is nothing outside of the pocket. Yeah. So how did you even found that? And this is not a full DNA. This is a partial DNA. Keep in mind there is no DNA at the car that they saying was used. There is nothing that shows whatsoever, you know, a, a crime was committed in this car. Keep in mind, this is a car that I returned back to the owner, basically within, according to daytime, within 20 minutes of so. All I did is after the crime was occurred, I went and dropped Ahmed Ali off and then went back and picked this guy up. Mm. So, and I gave him back the car. Keep in mind, I gave him back the car. I didn't have the car overnight. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So I didn't have time to clean the car. I gave him back the car. When you were hanging out with those two guys, did they ever mention to you that they want to rob the sewage store or something like that? Nah, man. We, we, listen, we, we, we smoked some weed. We were hanging out, man. Like, like it wasn't really, like, it was me picking them up. And I'm not going to lie to you, man, at the time, man. Like, I don't even know. Like, it's, sometimes things happen for a strange reason, man. I didn't even have a plan in my head that I was going to meet with this guy. That wasn't even a plan. You know what I mean? Like, man, it just happened, man. I went to that, I went to that, I, I went to, uh, I, I remember I went to the Taco Bell, which is right by the school that those guys go to. So at the Taco Bell, you can look across, look, you can look across from the Taco Bell and see the school. And then I see these guys standing outside. So I'm like, oh, that's Ahmed. Let me go and highlight him. You know what I mean? Hmm. So when I go there, I pull up. And, you know, I'm a kid at the time. I'm driving car. I have nothing to do. I'm just driving around, basically, man. Yeah. I have no set of schedule. Like I'm literally looking for looking for ways to, you know what I mean, get high and just hang out, man. That's yeah. my, I wasn't going to school, um, and I was just surviving, man, living there, doing my own thing, man, living outside. So when I went in, pull up right by them, they jumped in a car at a, uh, instantly, and we went from there, man. The day went from there, so they didn't have nothing to do too. So the first thing we did, we went straight to the uh, Empire Lot. You know, they were just games. You know what I mean? Whatever I was doing, they were with me. You know, right. and we smoked some weed. So that's how our day started. So it wasn't something that was planned. And as we going along, nobody even thinking. We listening to music. You know what I mean? We just talking, man. We just catching up. But nobody sat around and said anything about committing crime. Okay. But one of those two guys was at the crime scene. Was, yes. Ahmed Ali was at the crime scene. 
So somebody was planning, but what you're saying is that nobody said anything to you. Me personally, man, that's not something that I heard. That's not something that I sensed. That's not something that even occurred to me. No. Uh-huh. All right. So one of these guys ended up blaming you. Yes. Okay, but mom. Oh, let me let me refresh your memory first. First of all, both of these individuals were saying were blaming me and putting themselves at the scene as the, basically the accomplice. Mm. It just so happened that uh, the state ended up going with Ahmed Ali, which I have no idea why they did that rather than mm. uh, Salam Ali. But that's who they went with. It fit the description of the person inside that store. Uh, so basically, both of them were trying to uh, juggle the the blame game. At first, like one guy. At first, the only thing, at, the only thing that told the truth was the video footage. If that store didn't have a video footage, Ahmed Ali wouldn't be in the first one. Abdi Salam Ali being the first one who ta- who was first incarcerated, that would have been a person that would have took the whole blame. That would have been a first one individual. Instead of Ahmed Ali today, I promise you, it would have been Abdi Salam Ali if that store didn't have it, uh, 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 surveillance. It's the only thing that went against his story is the surveillance. That's the only thing. So this is someone that basically willing to go to prison and do some years behind his situation. And then the same person after 11 years, after 12 years, goes on camera and said that I lied about Mahdi Ali? Yeah, he comes forward and says I lied, man. And he's not the one. And he feels bad. What the fuck does that and, mean, and, man? And, uh, listen, man, that's 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 something that I can't tell you, man. That's something that right. it was a relief hearing that. It was a relief. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was a relief hearing that because now it showed people I'm not the only one. For years I believed it. For years I know that. But just keep in mind, man. I wrote countless letters throughout the country, man, seeking for help, seeking for any help, man. You know what I mean? Seeking for some sort of help, man. You know, saying I'm innocent, man. And nobody will believe me because you have a grown man over here saying that you did it. So hearing finally that man, I just broke down and cried. When Tom reached out to me and said, hey man, uh, Ahmed Ali told me this and this and that, you know, and I conducted a video, I mean, uh, uh, I conducted an interview yeah. and he's saying on camera that you're not the one, that, that he's sorry, that he feel bad that he plays you behind bar. I just broke down and cried. And even till this day, you know, even right now speaking to you, man, like, like, I'm teary-eyed because that was the first time that I had someone else basically saying, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not the one. You know, everything that I've been saying for this past 12 years, like, finally I have the person that everybody believed when he said I was the one, finally saying, you're not the one, man. And that was just relief, man. Like, it was relief off my shoulder, man. Like, it was just, like, a breath of relief, man. Like, I can't even describe how good he was. Just even though that wasn't them opening the door and you know releasing me, giving me my freedom back, but that gave me emotional freedom. That gave me you know a uh, 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 conscientious freedom, validation, you know, like validation, and, and 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 it was just a break, man. Like hearing that, because now I know my nieces. You know what I mean? My friends, kids, my friends. You know. My mother, you know, anybody that cares about me, that that, that that loves me, you know, what little family that I have or that I consider family, at least now can look at my situation and be like, wow, he wasn't lying. Mm. Like, he wasn't, all along he was telling the truth, you know? Mm. Yeah, man, so 
if it wasn't the key to opening the door, you know, it was enough to convince my loved ones and my close ones and my friends, you know, like, I'm not the one. That meant a lot to me, man. That's how God works. Uh, you know, the truth will find its way, no matter how much people try to hide it. But it was uh, it was awesome. It was really cool that Tom pursued the story and, you know, uh, that statement came out from the same, the same person who accused you now is saying that, no, uh, he lied. He, he railroaded you because he wanted to protect someone who's not even alive anymore, the actual shooter, according yes. to that guy. Yes. Which is also crazy that if the guy is dead, you might as well tell who he is. But, you know, what is insane is that these two guys... I mean, in your case, the insane thing is that the state went for the testimony of the guys who were there to accuse somebody who was not there. And the state couldn't put two and two together that how these these, these two these two cousins are, are, are going back and forth on their own testimony, which is like, hey, man, this is a red flag. I can easily explain that. I can easily explain that. One... I'm a kid that grew up in a system. One, they already, in their eyes, I'm as a difficult kid. I'm labeled as a trouble kid. Keep in mind, I ran away from group homes. I got incarcerated multiple times at a, a juvenile offenses, stealing cars. Uh, 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 and then one time I was hungry, so uh, uh, some cat gave me a check and said, if you cash this check, it was a stolen check. If you cash this check, I'm gonna give you some money. You know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna split the money with you. It's some stupid things like that, man. So I had, like, I had, I had, a, I had a, uh, the only things that I had, uh, like, so in their eyes, I was already a trouble kid. But if you really look at, like, my only offenses at the time as a juvenile, it was one time when I was like 12 or something like that, stealing a car, <laughs> and then it was a bait car that I got in a bait car, and then, and then I went to jail for that. And then, which was a juvenile offense, and then, I had, like I just told you the story, I just told you I was hungry one time and I need something to eat, man, some money. Being a homeless, it's not easy. So, yeah. uh, some care from our, our our area, man, you know what I mean, gave me a check and said, hey, you cash this check, I'm gonna split the money with you. So when I went into the bank, being a kid, this how uh, this how uh, influential I was. So I took the check, I went in, I, I took the ID that he had to show me, he said, use this ID. I went in there to cash the check, when the lady seen the check and then the ID didn't add up, so she shut the door, called the police on me, and I went to jail for that. And I, those were both juvenile offenses. So, but did you kill someone? I didn't kill no one, but in the state, I man, like first of all, one, it was a pressure on them. They have to solve this case. They have to solve. A three community men was killed. Three innocent men senselessly lost their life. Let's not forget about that. So in AI, they have. To but not by putting the wrong guy in prison, man. The only way, like, the only way I can explain this is I was the perfect scapegoat. Like, I was the kid that didn't have nobody was coming after them. I was a kid that was basically their reward. Keep in mind, like, they are basically, I'm the state reward. Like, they are my, my guardians. You know what I mean? I ran away from their group homes. So, I'm in their hand, man. Like, they can do whatever they want with me. Mm. Nobody's gonna come after me, man. So mm. I was already in their eyes, man, lost kid. So my time, I was just taking time bomb to perfectly pr describe it in their opinion, man. And so when this occurred, I was the easy scapegoat. Nobody came after me. 
uh, uh, this is a high-profile case, and I'm the only one not speaking. Everybody else is speaking. Everybody else is saying something. Why am I not speaking? Because I don't know what to say. I don't know. I, what do you want me to say? I didn't, you incarcerated me or something that I didn't do. Where do I go from here? I'm not even knowing. Like At the time, it was so odd. Actually, I didn't even know who else was even incarcerated with the case. I didn't even know that they even had individuals in jail saying I did it. It was just so odd, man, like, but everybody else is speaking. The whole state, the community members, I mean, the whole Somali community is seeking for justice and protesting damn near daily. Uh, the whole state media members are behind this case, and everybody got my mugshot everywhere. But you know who not saying nothing, who not speaking of anything, who doesn't have anybody coming forward saying, hey, we know this kid, he's our son or our brother, or we know this is not his character, this is not something that he's capable of, nobody's saying that on my behalf. Yeah. Nobody, not a soul, not any individual saying, this is someone that we know, this is our kid, or this is our friend, and this is not something that he's capable of. The only people that actually was supposed to speak for me is the state, because basically they are my guardians, they are my everything. Mm -hmm. And they decided to easily go ahead and, and book me as the suspect, the, the the prime suspect. Yeah, but what they what they forgot is the uh, one being that is watching over everyone is God. Definitely. And uh, he did not forget you. Definitely, definitely. Look how uh, God came to your rescue, from the same guy who, from the mouth of the same guy who said that you did it. After 11 years, this guy is saying you didn't do it. This is a miracle of God. Definitely, this is blessed. And, uh, no matter no matter how the attorneys would put it or, or the family members would put it, no matter who on this earth would put it, the only thing we can think of is that this guy on whose testimony you've been put in for life in prison, death by incarceration, this guy was a liar. And, 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 and man, this is exactly man, what he came down to. But as of right now, man, uh, one thing, man, I want to tell uh, people is, man, I need support more than anything, man. Still, I'm in prison. Through everything that occurred, through everything that came out of my case, this morning I'm talking to you behind bars. Let's not forget about that. So at the end of the day, the main focus is justice, man, for me, you know what I mean, and, and my exoneration. You know, more importantly, man, like, I don't want to spend any more extra time behind bars for something that I didn't commit. So, Yes, it's important that, you know what I mean, I'm telling my story, but it doesn't mean nothing if I'm not free, man, if I'm telling my story from behind bars. So yeah. with all this criminal justice reform that's going on, and even in my state, man, and all the politicians and everything that they've been, you know, uh, that is community members uh, uh, that, that, that fight for justice reform, that is also politicians within this state that's claiming, uh, 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 for example, the Attorney General Keith Ellison, he has his own conviction review committee, which basically is supposed to mean they're going to review any conviction that has questionable uh, uh, conviction, that has some kind of questionable in, uh, in the evidence. And I haven't even been reached out by them, you know? So it's important, man, that, that now that we point a finger towards how to get out of here. I could share my story all day in this interview. But more importantly, man, I wanted to know the purpose behind this interview and, and, and what I'm hoping for and what I'm looking for is people to help me, man, get out of here, man, help me come to my aid, you know what I mean, and, and help put pressure on the state. 
the state knows the truth. Yeah. The state knows about it. Tom Lydon himself reached out to the Conviction Review Committee, you know, and is to see, to look into my case. The innocent, the Minnesota Innocent Project, to look into my case, you know, because at the end of the day, man, like that's something that I need. I do need a legal aid. I do need somebody to help me open this case up, because mm. it doesn't get more clear than this, man. Uh, so my question is, why am I not, you know what I mean, getting any help from the state of Minnesota? You know what I mean? And, and that's mm. something, man, like... The truth is not out, they saying, but really the truth is out, man. I've been saying it all along, but now you have the same person that y'all took his word when he first time said, Mari Ali is the person that committed the crime. Y'all easily incarcerated me and convicted me behind that, you know? Mm. So now that he telling the truth and saying exactly what I was saying 12 years ago, oh, why is it so hard for you guys to look into my case all over again, you know, and, 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 and review this? Yeah, to save themselves from embarrassment and to save themselves from the fuck up the state and the prosecutors are, and the judges and the entire court system. Completely ignore my And case. for uh, for Keith Ellison not to listen to your case and not to uh, go take this towards exoneration is is going to be ridiculous. Completely ignore my case. I reached out to him. I had a friend reached out to him. I had a. Uh, a, a the media member Tom Lydon reached out to him multiple times to actually just okay. to respond to my case you know what I mean just to comment on what's going on with my case and he not not once have he took the chance or, or any of his office or his staff nobody re responded or reached out reached back to Tom or me or anybody else for that matter so and it's keep in mind this is uh uh, 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 organization that basically was built, you know what I mean, to review convictions. Yeah. So in your own state, the most high, the the uh, high-profile case such as mine, you know what I mean, to hit your table and for you to completely not even respond, that was flabbergasting to me. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. So what are you gonna do about it? I do want them to know. Message to them is, man, my case do deserve a review. Uh, and, man, if they are serious about what they're doing, man, if they are serious about, you know, the, what the, uh, the integrity of their organization, you know, it doesn't get more serious than my case. No one deserves any shot to, be, uh, to have his case reviewed than myself, man, towards everything that's pointing towards my case. Mm. Also, man, being a juvenile, man, you know what I mean, and, and, and being the only juvenile in the state of Minnesota, man, that's currently serving prison sentence that's equivalent to basically life without parole. Not fair too, man. And that's also something that's, that I wanted brought to attention to. You know, I'm the only juvenile in the state of Minnesota. I'm the only juvenile offender in the state of Minnesota that's serving 90 years. Everybody else that was facing life without parole that were under my situation, you know what I mean, were given sentence back like 30 years where they only gonna serve 30 years and get a release date so that's also man something that i want to bring to everybody's attention you know so the miss and the reason why i'm innocent man so that doesn't even make any difference to me but that's just to show you guys man like how far this state went to put me away man even when the supreme court said you can't give a juvenile life without parole 
they found another way to give me a sentence that's equivalent to life without parole. 90 years and life without parole, that is no different. Mm. Yeah. You can't explain it to me. 90 years is equivalent to life without parole. So to tell me, you know what, okay, this is how far the state is willing to go, man, to put me away, man, and, and basically, you know, throw away the key, man. And that's also something that I don't want to be forgotten, man. Mahdi, what would you want to say to the people of America? I'm innocent. More importantly, man, I'm someone that when I come home today, man, that will be very, very helpful to our communities, man, to our country, man. I do believe, man, I'm one of my generation, man, to make difference. My idol is Nelson Mandela, man. And the reason why is that is, man, like, after everything that he did, the prison sentence that he did, he emerged from that and became idol, you know, to kids like me, you know what I mean, to individuals like me, you know what I mean? So that's what I want to be. I want to help inspire our future generation. I want to be the name in our generation, man, to, you know, to give people somewhat of a hope along the, the struggle, man, and the, and the difficult times and the tough times, man. Tough time occurs, man, and it always will. But every generation, man, we need our own, you know, hero, man, our own idol, our own role model to look, you know, in, 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 in hope, in light of hope and say, you know, that person did it so I can do it too. And that's all I want to be to my generation. Inspire future generation uh, to America. What I want to say to man is, please, you know, my state easily put me away, and my state of Minnesota easily, man, put me away for crime that I didn't commit. But please, man, don't give up on me, man, and, and, and fight for me to America. Please, if you're listening, man, just do anything you can to help me in my in my freedom. And I promise you, man. I will make you guys proud and simply by, you know, living my life and inspiring our youth and giving our youth somewhat of a mentorship, man, and sharing my story and my journey to inspire hope, man. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. And that's what I want to be. And that's exactly the message that I want to send to America. I would like to remind the listeners that whatever that we talked about uh, are all uh, this conversation was based on facts. It's easily available. And we don't mean to disrespect the victims or their families. I heard one of the families, uh, victims' families say that your tears are fake. What would you say to that? My tears, man, can never be fake, man. My tears is based off the struggle, the pain, the many lonely nights, the, 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 the difficult times that I face in prison. My tears can never be questioned. My tears is solely on difficult times and the tough times that I experienced throughout the years, man. Uh, also, man, to him, man, I understand his pain, and I never wish that on anyone, man. And I completely feel what he's saying, because that's a man that was misled. That's a man that was all these years went to sleep and woke up knowing and believing that he has justice and thinking, you know what I mean, my incarceration, uh, uh, means justice to him so easily when all of a sudden these things come out of nowhere I don't blame him I do not blame him for, for saying otherwise and, and you know being in denial man and hopefully man he finds the, uh, he finds in his heart to you know look at the, 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 the fact you know instead of acting out of emotion 
you know, and be open-minded. But as of now, it's clear to me that's the man that, that believes that, you know, I'm the man that uh, killed his loved ones. And, and for years, that's what he believed. That's what his family believed. And I do not blame him, man. Hopefully, man, you know, once the truth comes out, which he has already, but once he stopped believing the truth, you know what I mean, opening his eyes, you know, he found ways to, you know, look at it from my perspective too. But I do forgive him, and I don't hold nothing against him and his family members, man, for believing that, because I know they pain. And at the end of the day, like you said, man, three innocent men lost their lives senselessly, man, and tragically. So that's something that's always going to be sensitive to the victim family. And one thing the state always does, Every time, man, even everybody, you can ask this, any examinees, man, anybody that ever was convicted of a crime, the victim family always continuously believe like they're the one that did it. So this is something that, and it's easily understandable. When you lock somebody up for years, man, you know, and the victim families, you know what I mean, you convince them that this is the person that committed the crime and harmed your loved ones, you know, that's what they've been sleeping on that's what they they've been living on throughout these years that's anytime they think about their loved ones that was their way of you know what i mean coping with it that whoever did it is incarcerated so when you finally come back and try to convince them otherwise you're opening up a whole new wound all over again and that's simply what happened man but i don't hold it against them man um and just god willing man one day he finds the uh, uh and it's hard to open his eyes man and just be open-minded because if he do just that. The truth is there, man. The truth is simply there. So, despite what has occurred with you, Madi, uh, how do you keep your cool, man? How do you keep your sanity together? God, man. A lot, man. Praying through prayers, you know, uh, education, you know. Uh, I'm someone that, man, despite all these difficult times, man, Focused on education, focused on uh, uh, prayers, focused on God overall, man. And, you know, becoming a better man, not allowing this environment to ruin me, man. Not allowing this environment to destroy me. Uh, and I understand, man, like, and I truly believe in my heart, man, that it's a greater purpose for me beyond this position I'm in right now, man. And that purpose will one day come forward, man. And, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to and that's what I'm working towards. Like I say, man, my dream, my goal and inspiration is, man, to one day inspire our youth, man, our, our, my future generation. I mean, my generation and our future generation. So knowing all that, man, I have no choice but to, you know, be poised and, 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 and just work overall to, you know, overcome this obstacle, man. And as, and as God willing, man, one day it will happen.
Seven, 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 seven.